dedicated to HBO's Game of Thrones and George R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire book series. You're listening to Podcast Winterfell. All right, welcome back to Podcast Winterfell. My name is Axel. On the other line is Mike. Mike, how you doing? I am doing great, buddy. Uh, it's late. It's that quiet hour when you can get into weird thoughts, you know? Yeah, it is. It is. We are ready to talk about Game of Thrones. But first, as you may notice, you're listening to this on our Patreon page. Uh, this is a cheap ploy to bring people over where I just put this podcast only streaming here. So hopefully it works. And some of you become a patron. Patron. Uh, I want to thank our patrons, uh, Joe, John, Tariq, Kellum, Matt, Amber, and our newest patron, Susan, who was a guest last year. You all know her, Black Eyed Lily, on the Twitter. And the new hurricane of feedback, Gina. Gina has got some email uh, coming to us tonight. But um, we appreciate it. We got some good emails. We got some Twitter stuff. We got some thoughts. We got some ideas. Um, so let's get to it. Uh, first off a little news. We are moving the talk shoe call in from nine to nine 30 on Monday night. Uh, that's Eastern time. And the reason for that is because the history of Westeros does their live, uh, thing on YouTube from like seven to like nine, nine 30. So uh, a couple people were telling us that. And we figured, hey, maybe do kind of like the old Lost Days, where we do just like one after another, East Coast, West Coast. Um, I think they're central, but it's close enough. Um, so that's what we're going to do, 9.30. So if you do follow that, then jump on over to TalkShoe. And again, you don't need um, to be a member of TalkShoe or anything like that. It's basically calling in, putting in a call ID, and then hitting one to be a guest. Mike, do you want to chime in? I th- I just said a bunch of stuff. Do you have anything to add about the talk show? Uh, DJ Tim Hines is killing it, and uh, the call-in show is really great this week. Cool. We had you know a couple of people, and they were ready to go deep, and Tim Hines was ready to entertain. So it was a good show. Yes, it was. That's awesome. You know what? I wanted. I had put this in the notes, and I wanted to give a special shout out to Ian Trone on Twitter. This person is always tweeting awesome stuff when somebody's doing a Game of Thrones live show, what new podcast came out, new television shows. Uh, they got me on to several different shows that I really like, most, most notably The Expanse. So just a shout out to at Ian Trone on Twitter. Thank you for being a fan and for helping us out on Twitter with good news and all that kind of stuff. And also, politically, I agree. Next up, (laughs) speaking of that, we had a great fun little uh, Twitter story today where our onion knight, DJ Tim Hines, was trying to break the siege of Long Island. So head on over to Twitter. And you could check it out. It was a fun thing that a little, uh, I don't know, it was almost like a little art project that DJ and I did while he was working out in Long Island. And uh, I was at the park and uh, making lunch and stuff and doing house stuff with my kid. It was kind of a fun thing to do. So check it out. 
at Winterfell Pod. Um, all right, that's it for that. Let's get into the Game of Thrones stuff. Mike, the first thing I wanted to bring up is, have you seen this picture of the wall in the opening credits from last year and this year? You mean, have I been awake since Monday? Yes. Yes, I have. Okay. Yeah. What do you have to say about it? I mean, first of all, just shout out to the attention to detail because I'm usually making a drink or going to the can or something during the credits. Um, So I appreciate the people who are like frame by framing this thing. And, you know, I don't know. It seems like there's a number of interpretations uh, none of them seem like good news for John and the boys. What do you think? Um, well, before we go there, I just want to say, do, did you watch the opening credits from last year and this year and look at it for yourself besides just the screenshot? Nope. Okay. I just looked at the screenshot. Now, I obviously would not ask that question unless uh-huh. I had done that. <laughs> Clearly. (laughs) And your conclusion? I did it. It's there. They added added about, I would say, a good three seconds of footage to the shot. Because what actually happens is the camera swoops in to the wall. While it's swooping in, the the river... Okay, you know from is that a river the sea? Okay, right, that's the sea, right? Mm-hmm. The sea is there. You swoop in, it's there, just like last year. It goes through, it goes down a little bit, it pulls back out. As, this is when it pushes into the lift, right? Exactly, right? right. Okay, as it pulls back out, there is like a glint from either you know from the whatever that thing is that we're seeing in the opening credits, you know, that kind of every Mm -hmm. once in a while go whoosh whoosh and shines at us, the metal, there's like a glint in last year's version. That glint just kind of happens and it cuts in this. What happens is that it, it, that glint is pushed off to the right. And illuminates that side of the sea, mm. and it becomes frozen for about like a couple of I mean, it's probably a second, if not less. Then, as the camera pulls back out, that glint kind of goes away, and you see the sea again. So the cool thing about it is that they didn't almost like a vision in the flame. Yeah, dude. Like they didn't just change it and do it cheaply. They kind of did. It's, it's kind of cool. The way they did it is that it's almost, yeah, like a little vision. You just see it. It's almost like an illusion that if you catch it quick, you see it, but if you're being lazy about it, you won't see it because you see the, the sea coming in and you see the sea pulling out, but it's just for that kind of like second or so while it's pulling out and they hide it with the reflection, like the lens flare kind of deal. And so it kind of fools your eye. So whoever picked it up, they, all you see is that screenshot. But if you go back and watch it, it's even more impressive. So I encourage everyone, 
Go back and watch it. It probably takes two seconds on YouTube. Watch the video version of it instead of looking at that screenshot. And it has a little bit more meaning. And you'll, and if you watch it, I mean, it, it took one, we're video editors. It took once for me to notice that they had definitely added, they'd like stuck something right. in there. Um, but you'll notice that it's, it's longer. Like you, you'll watch it the first, you'll watch this season's and then you'll watch the next season and you'll be waiting for it and it'll already be cutting. Mm. You know, like the timing is just off, but the way they did it is pretty cool. So go out and check it out. Well, and that's one of those things that like two seconds when you're watching or half paying attention to a credit sequence and two seconds when you're sitting there as an editor, you know, those are complete, like two seconds can pass in as one moment yeah. when you're watching it. But when you're editing, that's 48 separate frames. Oh, that's, yeah, that's 48 separate decisions. Yep. Yep. You know, and so that, I mean, it, it is a much different sense of time, you know, and that's like, that's a fascinating, I wonder who noticed, you know, who took the screenshot that everybody's been seeing. I wonder if that person's a editor like you. Good eye, Foley. Yeah. Well, you would see it too, Hull. All you got to do is watch it. Um, you, would, you would notice the same thing. And, um, and I literally only watched it once. Like, I remember, I think Perry walked out of the room for a second and I was like uh, looking at Twitter and I saw it. I think it was our friends at chat on TV who had tweeted out a picture of it. And I tweeted back like emergency podcast just for this image. It's like, <laughs> we got to talk about it. Um, but I was not expecting much and I was really pleasantly surprised that they put that much effort into it. You know, it's kind of cool the way, like when the more you think about it, it's kind of cool. Um, but wait, hold on before you move on. What does that mean then? Oh, carry okay. that out. Okay. Talk to me. Um, I think I've had this, the, I've kind of thought something like this for some time. I don't know if I particularly expressed it. Um, I can't remember. We talk so fucking much, but anyway, which is that I, in a way, I never really felt that the wall was keeping the white walkers back. I know there's supposed to be like magic in it and it's so big and whatnot. And why didn't they come down? And mm. I don't know. It just always seemed they're so powerful. Then maybe that is just what the key is, is that they could get around it whenever they wanted. They just never wanted to before. What? Okay. I mean, does that I, I, sound cheap? Like, I mean, I, I don't know how. I don't know if that's the way it's going to be in the books, but I could just, see. It just doesn't. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Like, maybe that's what they do. They literally just freeze the sea by it, or go, they just go around it. Like, it doesn't encompass yeah. the whole Earth. Right. It's much easier to freeze one bit of water than to tear down the whole entire wall. Yeah. I mean, I don't brand know, dude, the way no they jumped mark. off that cliff and would just like, could make the bodies climb over. It just, it's unstoppable, you know? It's uh, mm. it's like that movie with Brad Pitt. Right. That Max, <laughs> uh, Max Br Mel Brooks, son Max Brooks wrote. I can't remember the name of it, though. It's the, like Planet Z or Planet something? Z, yeah, yeah. I don't know. No, I'm not... Don't get too enthusiastic about that. Okay. Uh, about that title, I'm not totally sure, but, but um, maybe that's that, maybe that's it, or I don't know. 
Well, that that tends that seems to go with I was it Donald I think who was talking about that and and basically said they're just going to flank the wall, you know they don't got to tear the whole thing down they're just going to go around the end of it, um, and so that would fit with your lake freezing theory. What do you think? I like it. Uh, I mean that those two things seem to make sense together. You know, we also we already saw the the like attack on Castle Black uh, by the Wildlings. So, you know, it seems like you're. Are you just going to do that again, or you know, you're going to go around the corner, right? The other thing that that gives you the opportunity. <laughs> Hey, it's something different. The other thing I couldn't tell if you were talking to me. I thought you were like, you're going to do that again, Axel? You're just going to go around? I was like, what corner? I got caught. <laughs> Sorry, Hull. We got way too high before we did this podcast. <laughs> podcast little, wait, Winterfell. Uh, the, so the flanking idea is a good idea as far as giving us something new. The other thing is John has just sent all the free folk over there to guard the last castle. You know, so you kind of get like a preview battle that way, right? Um, where basically, you know, I mean, how many of the free folk do we actually care about at this point? Is it really just Tormund? Uh, He's kind of the only one we're still yeah. really actively hanging out with. I'm right? trying to think. I that's a good point. I think, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> so you get the scene where, you know, all the free folk are completely eradicated and Tormund is the last one and, you know, it's super depressing. Or maybe Tormund gets turned into a White Walker, which everybody's, you know, every, any, literally anything is up for being turned into a White Walker at this point, you know. So maybe Tormund ends up attacking, but that way you get like a preview battle. So mm -hmm. I think all those things make a certain amount of storytelling sense. So, yeah. sure. Yeah, and I and I do, you know, I don't know. I saw some reactions on uh, on uh, the internets where people were just kind of like, "Oh, that's kind of cheap," or blah blah. And I, I don't agree. I mean, I think, and I don't know. Um, how, you having read the books, I've always felt like people. It's weird. I get this feeling from the book readers. People are so into the history, right? Mm -hmm. that they kind of like believe that's what happened. They use it to validate theories. But then one of the main tenets, it seems to me, of this story in the TV show, and also from what people have told me of the books, is that you shouldn't trust any of the histories and they're all wrong. And that <laughs> one of the things George is trying to tell you is that the victor writes the history that you know, everything is subjective and a lot of things are lies. I think that's fair. So, you know, the fact that this big, I mean, what have we learned about the Night's Watch? It's bullshit. It's a bunch of rapists, murdering murderers and thieves <laughs> and people who are cast out of their families. And virtually none of them are there by choice. Yeah, and really the only thing that they have been doing, besides the old stories that we know of any recent history, is uh, fending off other people that they call the wildlings, who are really just people who live on another side of a wall. And well, share a I lot of the same history. Cultural you know? difference. Yes, sure. okay. I mean, but I'm just saying, they're not the White Walkers. 
Yes, absolutely. They're not mythical beings that need to have a huge wall to protect them. I mean, thins are somewhere in between, yeah. but yeah, what you're saying is correct. Okay. The book, <laughs> I like I'm saying, the book could be different in what I'm saying, but what the show... All right, but this... All right, but this is a good transition into something you've been talking about, about your jealousy yes. and, and, you know, your needing of therapy with yes. book readers. Yes. So okay. I, I, let's get into This seems like a great time to, to jump into that. All right. I've been thinking about this for a little while. And something – I've been so into this season, but I've been a little frustrated. And I'm listening to – um history of Westeros, they talk book stuff, you guys, book stuff, some other podcasts, they talk book stuff. And one of the things that's been kind of annoying me is that we, I know we started off this story as a kind of, quote, medieval type political drama, right? And the magic crept in. And that is a totally viable way to get people into a show like this. I mean, it's what Lost did, right? Like Mm -hmm. they... We're a little earlier, maybe, in some of the overt weirdness, but it was like character. There was study. no magic in yeah. that pilot. There was a little bit, a little bit. The noise, right? That was uh, a little. Oh, okay. So, okay. Um, but you could ignore it, yeah, in the face of the plane crash. Yeah, and right. John Locke was acting weird, but we didn't know <laughs> that time that he was. You no, know, spoiler alert. Won't even tell you because I love Lost that much. <laughs> I want everybody to experience it. The first time, like I did, um, I got t- I got emotional there. Anyway, the point is, I'm pissed that there's not more magic in the show. We've been here long enough; we can take it. I hear about all this cool ass shit that happened in the book: people changing faces, and Melisandre doing this, and dragon stories, and history. I want a whole episode that's at the history of Westeros, like that tells us when. Aegon the Conqueror and the drag like why I'm I'm just I'm getting a that is the thing that's frustrating me and that's what like I uh, uh last week I commented on some Facebook uh, I think it's our friend uh, Michael Aaron's uh, uh Game of Thrones super fans Facebook page people were like what do you want this week and I was like White Walkers I want more magic stuff man I want more brand I want to know about this stuff I want them to talk about I'm super excited about the show, but I'm starting to get, I really kind of want to read the books now just because I want to know this magical, cool shit that I feel like they're still being a little bit too, um, passive with, like if I Mm. understand it and I don't think this is in any way a spoiler and not, not that there's spoilers left, right. But that in the books, isn't Euron more magical kind of like. Doesn't he have more ele- and talk about that more? Like, I don't want you to give away anything or whatever. People, I don't know. You, you be the judge. But anyway, that's starting to frustrate me. Like, I want that stuff. I can well, accept it. There's okay, but this is an interesting aspect of being a book reader and and kind of observing the fandom, right? Which is that everybody is hungry for that kind of stuff, and the people who have read the books, and you know, of course, there's not just the five existing canon books, but also the history of ice and fire and, yeah. and some of the other short stories, you know? And so people, because everybody's hungry for that stuff, have conglo- have filtered out and conglomerated every little mention of it in, into a, a kind of 
solid form that doesn't actually exist in the books. It's much more diffuse in the books. Oh, okay. And, but, but when we're talking about it, it feels like something that's much more solid. It feels like there's a chapter that's like that. But I'm telling you, in all five books, there's no chapter that's like that. That's like that show you're describing, right, about Aegon and stuff like that. And everybody wants that. And for some reason, they're not giving it to us. I, I mean, everybody who's paying as much attention to this stuff mm. as we are, right, wants that. But they're not giving it to us. And no one really knows why. And the History of Ice and Fire book is actually really interesting about that because it is closer to that really than anything else. You know, we're, but... But even that, there's no through line. You know, there's a bunch of little stories. It's not, it's not a, a, a you know, um, it's not a continent. It's islands, right? Oh, okay. And so when we talk about it in a podcast or when you read about it or something like that, it feels much more solid because you're bringing every little mention of it together into one space. Now... I would even say that as far as the show goes, if you could somehow do the math to equate show minutes to pages, I don't know how you would do that, right? But I think that they are are dealing with magic pretty consistently with the way the book deals with it in terms of how diffuse it is. You know, you get these moments where all of a sudden Danny's just standing in the middle of the pyre and like not even getting sunburned and it's like whoa but how that happens is no more explained in the books that in, is in the show hmm. you know um so euron is a great example actually because what they talk about basically in the books is that you know euron you've heard the story in the show about you know how he tried to fight his brother he you know or no he was the one who led the rebellion that was what it was um, during Robert's Rebellion and the Iron Islands decided they were going to declare independence and all that kind of stuff. And that didn't end up working out for them. Right. Well, he was the one that led that charge. And so when that didn't work out for them and a bunch of Iron Islanders were killed by the Lannisters, which we heard Jamie mention again this year, um, Euron was banished from the Iron Islands. And so he left and he went east. Right. So he goes to Essos, you know, and this is the land of the magic. Right. In the story. Um, it's where Shy is at, you know, it's where, um, Valeria is at, it's all, it's where the, the old world is and it's where the magic is. Right. And so he comes back and he talks about all of these experiences that he had there, but we don't see them. It could all be bullshit. <laughs> like that's the thing. He's not getting into details. He's just standing up there holding his dick and talking shit. Right. And so even though we get a little more of it in the book, it's not like he has X-ray vision and they're just not bringing that into his character. You know, oh, okay. it remains, it remains, um, m mystical and, and hazy. Even when you've read however many thousands of damn pages, this thing is. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes and me so, feel a lot better, Mike. That makes this me, is what I'm. This, that's interesting. It's kind of what I'm saying is like every last drip and drab of that stuff that exists in the books has been poured over to the extent that if you listen to History of Westeros 
and me and Matt and like whatever, a couple other podcasts, like you've heard all this stuff. It it, it sounds like there's more because it sounds like we're condensing when we talk about it, but we're really not leaving things out. In fact, we're going over everything ad nauseum. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Oh, well, that, that actually, hmm, that, ex- that kind of explains a lot about the fandom, too. That's interesting. Um, and I, I really think I the history of Ice that. and Fire book, the history of Ice and Fire book is cool as shit. Like, it looks really cool, you know, and the writing is really neat. And, like, I really think that if, you, if, if, you're, if you're a fan of the show the way you are, but you don't want to read all five books... Read History of Ice and Fire because it's really cool. Like it's easy to read. It's beautiful the way it was put together. Everything about it is just fantastic, and it contains a lot of that kind of stuff. Most of the most of the White Walker stories in the books we get from Old Nan, and you know Old Nan is not described as a reliable source. Okay, <laughs> right. Well, I, I, that, now that, that's... it turns out that some of the stories she tells are true. We find out. You know, oh, okay. because she talks about White Walkers in the very beginning and nobody believes her. Right. Well, that turns out to be to have been true, you know, but she also tells a bunch of other stories. And it, there's no way to know until you actually see it for yourself where where it came from or what the like the level of reality versus mythology is wrapped up in it. But there have been a couple of things that she talked about that nobody believed her that turned out to be real. And they were just in stories. She was telling Bran. She wasn't saying like, guys, you need to look out. She was just, they were just stories. Bran liked the stories. Right. But then when we see one of those things turn out to be true later, that gives everybody license to go back and pour over every crazy thing she said and try to figure out if it's true. Okay, so and you don't think though that there so does magic not play a bigger part? Um, okay, let me ask you this: in the books, is it similar to where so many people are in denial about like the White Walkers and everything that is generally carried across both the book and the show? Yes. Okay. Yep. Well, the people who are in denial are in denial. Okay. Cool. The people who have experienced it are not. And are acting. The, you know, okay. There's one, there's one thing. This is, I think this is actually a decent example of what you're talking about. And I've talked about this on the show before, so I don't care all, about saying it again. A Melisandre's stone that she wears around her neck, that red gem that's in her necklace, right? We see the one episode where she takes the necklace off and she ages 100 years in a moment, right? In the book... Whenever she talks, not even when she's doing magic, even when she's just standing there, that little stone is glowing. And when she starts doing magic, like when she has the smoke baby, that that stone lights up and it can light up a room, right? And it's clearly the magic, you know, this is reflecting of or it contains or whatever. In some way, this stone is connected to the magic. It's not clear how. It's not clear if she needs to have it on. The moment that she takes it off and she turns old in the show is a more direct expression of the magic of that stone than anything that's in the books, as far as I can recall. So the stone has it, – it, it always stood out to me as implicating power, you know, when it – right? 
And so I have always been surprised, not disappointed or it's not a big deal. I've just always been surprised that they didn't make the stone glow in the show. You know, that kind of thing is the difference between the magic in the books and the magic in the show. In the books, you get a little more detail because it's it's the written word. You know what I mean? Like you get a little more about exactly how things look and kind of how they function. But it remains an outside perspective. There's no explanation and you never are are inside the perspective of the magic or frankly of anyone who controls or understands it. You know, the the three-eyed raven I guess would be the closest you would get, but even he is tapping into a source that he knows he can't control, which is why he tells Bran, you can't stay too long, you'll drown. You know, so throughout the books, there's never anyone who understands it. You know. That's interesting, man. Wow, dude. Well, you did make me feel better about that. Um, <laughs> Good. And in the same way, though, it still made me, again, say for the millionth time uh, that I probably should read the books. Um, but I like that they're about good, it. Man. And, and they're easy to read. And, and I also think that that's kind of cool that they were able to capture that that kind of feeling by doing that in the show as well. So mm-hmm. that is something that both book readers and non-book readers alike can share. Cool, man. That's actually – well, that is actually one thing that I think they've done a good job of in the show is the way they've dealt with magic in relationship to the way magic is dealt with in the books. Okay, yeah, and def- the reason okay. – the, the example that I have of why I think they've done a good job is because both people who've only watched the TV show and people who've read all the books both want more shit about how the magic works. So I think that they've dealt with it the way George has dealt with it, which, you know, how, how else are you going to do it? Yeah. That's good. It leaves you wanting more. It definitely does because I do kind of feel like I I would just be so ready for that, man. Like they could be like jumping around and and like shooting like fireballs out their arms or something. I mean, I'm just saying that I would accept a higher level at this point. And I guess that my point in saying how the show began was to say, my guesstimation would be that the general viewing public would be ready for that as well. You know, I agree. I mean, there's dragons. White. So We've seen it on the show already. So well, I just hope that I will does say this happen. in terms of this season and what's upcoming, you know, dragon glass is a very mystical form is a very mystical material, you know, and no one, currently living in the story really understands dragon glass or how it works but there's dragon glass candles you know and so this dragon glass can literally burn but it's glass and apparently you just mine it so like they don't make it it's already formed somehow like it's a very mystical thing the dragon glass and we're about to go find a pile a literal mountain of it is the way they they keep saying it So I think that we're going to get, I think there's a good chance we're going to get a little more magic once everybody's just surrounded on all sides by this stuff. Cool, man. All right. Um, You ready to uh, get into these emails, brother? Yeah, man. Let's do it. Uh, Okay, so we have a few emails here, and our emails are blessedly from obsessives, so they're kind of long and kind of smart. Uh, first one from our patron Joe Bear. 
Something popped into my head after hearing so much discussion this week about Arya and the Nymeri- about the Arya and Nymeria scene. It seems that you can either think that the interaction made Arya think that she belongs with a pack and she will go find hers at Winterfell, or that she does not belong in a pack anymore and she will head south to complete her mission. What is clever about this is that this could be the perfect way to have Arya's secret plan stay a secret to us viewers until it is dramatically revealed to us in an episode or two after we've forgotten about her and she's already made her move to where someone else's face in King's Landing. If we knew for sure she was going to King's Landing, her face-swapping surprise would not be a surprise. I'm not particularly attached to this theory, but because of the way the scene left us, it does seem like it could have a, it could be a clever trick by the writers to throw us off her scent. Valor more podcasts. <laughs> I love that, Valor more podcasts. Yeah, um, right. I, you know what, Joe? Let me tell you something, bro. Juliana Marga podcast. Yeah, baby. Juliana Marga podcast. Joe, I want to tell you something, brother man. I was talking to my man, a hustler, and guess what? We had the same exact idea. You rock, bro. I, cause I was thinking back and forth about this scene and I was like, this is so non-committal. Like you could read right. this in so many different Good ways. Word. She realized she needs a pack. She realized that the people uh, in her past will now reject her. She realized she's different. She realized she needs family. She, I think that this is a perfect setup that we don't see Arya for a while. And then she pops up and kills Cersei or somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe that's what they're getting. And also, may it, you know, pattern recognition. We saw her right. do that with um, uh, Walter Frey. Walter Frey. Donald Trump. And then is that going to be the way Then we see a couple scenes where she's on the road? Do we, then does she pop up again? Like this could be how her character is going to be now. You know what I'm saying? Uh, as characters change and develop within the storyline, how they weave in and out says something about how they are a part of the plot. She is right. the sneaky killer now, right? So right. I'm not saying that I think it's going to happen, but we had the same thought. And cause Aaron of course loves the idea that she's going to kill Cersei still. And, um, I think that good, good read, man. Sin myth podcast. Look it up, baby. Joe bear. Nice. You know, I, I, at this point am really thinking that Nymeria is going to be the one who saves hot pie. I think somebody's going to try to kill Hot Pie and really? Nymeria is going to, that's, you know, because yeah. that's what the dogs do, right? They come out of nowhere and they eat somebody's face, Mike, like right at the moment when nobody else could save them. Are they going to write that scene just so you and Donald can spend like 10 minutes destroying it <laughs> on the podcast and be like, why is this here? We've got six, ep- seven episodes. What the fuck? That's, and, and Dan and Dave are like laughing. In their den. I got a soft spot for hot pie, so they might yeah. get away with that one. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's jump to uh, our uh, hurricane of feedback. Uh, our newest patron, right on. Gina. Gina. This is an email from Gina. Overall, I give this episode five and a half golden hands. Very nice. I mean, it was good, but for as fast as this is going to roll in seven episodes this season, it just seemed a little slow, particularly compared to last week. And now, a a bold heading, Sansa's Big Secrets. 
So she's going to be in charge for the time being, and Littlefinger will try to work his wormy manipulations over her, I'm sure. However, Sansa has already... However, Sansa already has some good dirt on Littlefinger that could help protect her from anything he might do. She knows he was involved with killing Joffrey, and she knows he killed Liza as well. Ooh, that's a good point. I'd not... Oh, I'd forgotten about that. If she's smart, she would have some scrolls with this information at the ready to be sent to various folks should anything happen to her, and gently remind Littlefinger of this if she needs to. Sansa could easily take her head off Cersei's chopping block if she could deliver her the head of one of Joff's true killers. Oh, man, Gina's got a little bit more here, but I just got to say, like, that is good stuff right there. Yeah, yeah. No, let's talk about it. Yeah, I think it's great. And I think it's something that I totally forgot about. And going forward, now that Sansa, like she describes, now that Sansa's there on her own, you know, without John, uh, not completely on her own. I mean, not, who? what allies does she really have there besides Brienne? I mean, we don't really know what character is there that we're not seeing. I mean, she's always talking to John. It seemed like she's always talking to John and Davos, and now they're going. Right? So, yeah. I mean, don't forget, though, that the going. whole, you know, the blood thing, you know. It means a lot. It does. Yeah, it's Winterfell. It means a lot, especially to the, you know, to the folks in yeah. the north. And that's one thing that I think we have seen over and over. Yeah. You know. I think this is great. I really do. Um, this is really good. I didn't think of that. And, and, and let's see, Gina. Let's see. Does Sansa use that? How does she use that information? And that'll speak to how kind of they're writing this character. I mean, I think that they've definitely had trouble because the only reason I say that is because there just seems to be a discrepancy again between, and I know, you know, it's book reader, non-book reader, you and me, Mike, but there's just like book readers have such a love for Sansa. It's just a deeper understanding of her that, I mean, this might be sometimes what Donald says where he feels like on the show they just kind of throw her in situations. And yeah. um, I, I would hope that as Gina so eloquently wrote, look at the bam, bam. You know what I'm saying? Like Joffrey mm-hmm. and Liza. So it's like she can divorce him. And she doesn't mention here, but I'm thinking too, if she tells uh, little Robin about little fit, you know, he killed your mommy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Then, and I want to marry you or something. Littlefinger could be yep. out too. So let's see how Sansa yep. plays this. She's actually, that's what I mean is like, she had, that's why I didn't like the way her and John treated Littlefinger because they have him in power positions, but he has them in them too. So they need to be respectful of that. And they're kind of playing their hand, I feel, by being so rude openly to him, but then maybe I'll be wrong, you know? Um, I just felt it was kind of silly, like, you know, the way John choked them out and the way Sans is, you know, yeah, kind of like just being really like freezing just sarcastic. Him. What's that? Freezing him. Yeah. Freeze him. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. So anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, she's never going to pick up a blade. That's never going to be Sansa, yeah. you know? So this idea of how does she you know, establish, maintain, develop, and build power. I mean, that's how, that's great. That's a good way to do it. That's how Varys has done it, and he's done very well, (laughs) right? I mean, and the idea that she could establish influence over 
Robin is excellent. So, yeah, I really like this a lot. Uh, Gina had one more great point. Jesus, Theon, really? I mean, I guess if I ran into a hot dude with Khal Drago's slaying abilities and Ramsay's demented mind on a dark and fiery ship, I'd jump overboard to escape, too. Theon really deserves to die in a big way. Per my wish list last week, I don't think his death, no matter how brave and gloriously self-sacrificing, could ever redeem his actions now. Yeah. Uh, Damn. I, you know, there was a big, I know Game of Thrones, and hey, we're going to do some podcasts about it. There's political aspects that in our, that when they're reflected in the show, purposefully or not, and then people watch it, and then the discussion happens, and uh, there's a lot of people saying, look, Theon has um, PDSD. Is that how you say it? I'm terrible. PTSD. Okay, I'm terrible with those things. I can't. Uh, Post-traumatic stress, stress disorder. disorder. Okay. Um, and that's totally true. But within the confines of this story and this world, I don't really know what his role is at this point. You know what I mean? So I don't know it's, if it's about deserving. You could definitely say that again. I don't know if, I mean, the choice there, he may have saved his sister's life by jumping off the ship. Now, maybe she's going to get tortured and stuff, but I feel like if he had rushed him, he would have slit her throat and then killed Theon. Okay, I guess so. Am I making excuses so. for him now when I originally started saying? <laughs> I don't think he did it for Yara's yes, benefit. No, you are, of course not. Yes, and and obviously the they choreographed that thus with the shots they gave us, you know, like him looking at the people biting things and ripping off ears and mouths and stuff, you know. Um, right. But anyway, I guess what I'm trying to say is Never been a huge fan of the whole Theon character. I mean, I think the guy's a good actor, and I think he's done well with it. But as it fits into the overall story, I am. I thought the, they were going a different way with the character, and I was kind of disappointed in this. Yeah, it, I don't see what we learned. So, I mean, it was super dramatic, I guess. But so what? I'm ready for him to be gone. Or yeah. do something different, and what when, by by do something different? I don't mean go back to swaggering, you know, sword dick swinging Theon. Right? He can't do that anymore. But something else, like yeah. And you know, this isn't a comment on the actor because I do think you're right. I think he's playing what he's you know. I think he's playing it well, but that character has just reacted the same to so many. You know. So mm-hmm. anyway. Um. True. And it's, you know, if you need to learn about PTSD from your dragon show, um, I hopefully you've done that research by now, for God's sakes. Like, I don't really like this idea that, like, they're sticking to it as a public service. That just, I don't buy it. That doesn't make any sense to me. No. And that's, but that's, I mean, that's really how that that comes out. Oh, I hadn't considered, you're right. People always do take that too far, don't they? And then they're like writing Dan and Dave nasty emails about being social justice warriors and changing the book to, no, I didn't even think, okay, (laughs) this went in weird. I didn't even want to go there, Mike. I was thinking, I was just thinking people were just like, okay, I I was kind of more like, that's, um, that's, that's a meta 
topic. So I, mean, I wanted to talk within the con. Yeah, know, it is co- totally. If and you it's don't cool. know anything about it, you should yes. learn about PTSD. Yes. But you should also meet people who are alive in your neighborhood right now Not who are living on. with it because yes. they're available to you. <laughs> yes. Right? Because right. – if you like, if you're looking at it that way, then you think you have to have your dick chopped off and you got to jump off a boat in the middle of a giant like fire battle. <laughs> you know that's not the case. Like, there's yeah. people. I guarantee it. People in your community living with this right now, yeah, and you yeah. should, you know, maybe not like go to their door. You should learn about it, right? But there are ways to interact with this problem right. in our life, and part of that interaction is dealing with how we've contributed to you right so like it, there's a lot of kind of soul searching involved and all these things and it's much much deeper than you know it goes in this show right so to me it's i just don't feel like we're going anywhere with him yeah and i, I don't I agree. buy the public service angle kill him and let's keep going yeah now there's one thing and I've heard so I've heard so many people say this is this whole thing just a ploy so he can get picked up in a boat by you know who <laughs> <laughs> who's still rowing. I mean, I don't, sure. I get. I don't know. That would be great. That would be great. That I don't know. He maybe he can pour wine for them now. Oh, I, I, I don't. It just like I just don't see anyway. That would be fun for a yeah. moment, but I don't see where it moves us. Yes, me neither. But it could. It could be fun. I mean, I it would be a little. I don't know because so that's like so obvious. You know what I'm saying? And it would be kind of funny too. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. Uh, all right. Let's thank you, Gina. Let's move on to Amber. Yeah, great stuff from Gina. Uh, okay, and this is from Amber, and Amber has read all the books and has friends who've read all the books and talks and thinks about uh, Game of Thrones a lot, <laughs> so she got into some details. This is based on uh, the conversation that Donald and Tracy and I had on the Book Reader Deep Dive this week, which was about the Littlefinger and John and Sansa situation, and so... There's these kind of you know questions about who knows about R plus L equals J, um, and the possibility that Littlefinger knows. Uh, so we were kind of talking about what he would benefit from that, whether or not he would have used that information, so on and so forth. Uh, Amber has a very uh, distinct opinion. <laughs> Her email starts all caps. Littlefinger does not know about John! Exclamation point. He might have an idea, but no confirmation. Telling Cat that John is not Ned's serves Littlefinger in no way. It lets Ned off the hook with Cat completely. Not good for Littlefinger. And if Littlefinger wants power, can you imagine the favor that would have been lavished on him if he had told King Robert that his beloved Ned was harboring a Targaryen? Which is a really interesting point. What do you? I mean, he would have at very least made Ned kill John. At very least. Um, I mean, because this is the thing. John is not just a Targaryen, but also remember Robert was in love yeah. with Lyanna. I, you know, I, you know, I guess, I guess it's like a book show thing. Um, she is, uh, she, I know is a big book reader 
Within the confines of the television show, I try to think back to the first season. And I think in the state that he was in, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I think that he would have tried to have John killed. He would have at least had John killed. Yeah. The question is what he would have done to Ned. I don't know. I don't he would think... have at least had John killed. Yeah, at least. I, I don't know what it would have done to Ned. I really don't because there was such a brotherhood there. No, it got strained. Um, I think it would have remained. And I think he would have been able to, I think just by invoking uh, Leanna, he would have been able to kind of get his heart and they would have been able to find a place to agree but then she I think, wouldn't have saved Ned, but or John, but she would have saved Ned. Yeah, but I don't. Memory. But then again, I don't know what Ned would have done if he had tried to kill John. That would have been a whole different story, right? Right. Interesting. Right. Okay, so her next paragraph, Littlefinger may have hinted to Sansa that there was more to the story of Rhaegar and Lyanna than kidnapping and rape, which we've seen in the show. He may know that there was genuine love there, but he does not know about John's parentage. His scene with John in the crypts, that was Littlefinger trying to figure out this unknown quantity, which I think is another very good point. That seems like a thing he would do, right? Yeah, I thought I was more I was more convinced that he knew when we were on the run up to it being revealed on the show. Mm-hmm. But once it was revealed and other things with Littlefinger happened. And then I reading, I haven't thought about it for a while, honestly. I mean, there's a million questions you could ask yourself about this show, but I think this is very valid. And there was more, you know, for time's sake, I had to cut, but I think this is a very valid argument. And I think that she has convinced me of it, that Littlefinger knows something's up, but he doesn't quite know. You know, he has enough Mm -hmm. information, but there's so few people that actually know this. Mm Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. I think that it, it is like the most prized info in the land. It's, you know, I mean, look, dude, this is the hooker piss tape. You know what I'm saying, dude? <laughs> this right. is the hotel room Trump hooker piss tape. This is what, and Littlefinger <laughs> is like, he knows something happened, you know, but he doesn't know what. And I like that reading of the conversation he had with John. And actually, it makes me kind of understand his point of view a little bit more because I thought he might be busting it out right then and there. We hadn't seen Bran Bran cross the wall. We hadn't seen Bran. I feel like, again, now that we made this kind of run up to we find out, now we're on the run up to John finds out or somebody else finds out. Right. You know? Right. So, but this is convincing. Yeah. Her last paragraph says, while Ned's choice to honor Leanna's dying wish may have been honorable, let's face it, it was made with no thought for the future other than keeping the child alive. It was made without considering John. Sansa was right when she said Ned made stupid mistakes. She just didn't know she was talking about a choice involving John. So, I, you know, I, I think, yeah, I think she makes a very compelling case. Yo. That he does not know. He knows there's something to be known, and he knows he doesn't know it. Yeah. Uh, yo, Amber is getting deep here, man. She knows her shit. Um, this is a very interesting way of looking at it. Um, I like that, too, that Sansa was right. She just didn't know. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's really cool that... 
that does add. I like it when you can thank you, Amber, because that adds like a new reading to the scene, you know? Yeah. And it's fun. It's like when you rewatch and it's fun to yeah. think about what people are really talking about or what the writers are really talking about in any given scene. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. I think she's got, she makes some good points and, and she's definitely, you know, she, uh, she watches more than once. <laughs> so, I mean, whether she's right or not, it's, it's a, it's an educated guess. I like it, man. See there's that's some of that book reader stuff, man, bringing that, bringing that discourse over to us in TV land. And that's, what's been so wonderful. I mean, honestly, just sitting here doing this podcast and like we started with lost and everything. That's what has brought me so much into TV. You know, I was normal. I was taught this kind of framework with novels and films, not with television, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So that's like when people, that's something that's kind of lost now that, you know, with Twitter and everything where it's like peak TV and TV has gotten great and movie stars will be on TV. But a real great point is that you can have this kind of new reading of scenes and things and it actually works you know it's not like you say like really on three's company jack was their brother (laughs) you know and they're like that's a whole new way of looking at three's company no there's no other way of looking at it there somebody made a dumb error and heard something wrong that mr roper said and that was what happened that half hour um well we talk about all the different people who worked in movies, both actors and, you know, directors, writers, stuff like that, who are working in television for the first time over the last 10 years or whatever, or working with Netflix or whatever. Well, the reason they're doing that is because there's opportunities to do long form serial storytelling. You know, you make a 10 hour movie instead of a one hour movie, you know, or you make a hundred hour damn movie. Right. And it's it just that that opportunity is available now in television in a way it wasn't. It's bringing over people who want to tell stories in that format, in that novel format, yep. you know, in that film format, in that long form format. Um, and I mean, and I don't know how this show works before that. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And then in, in, in respect to uh, Alan Seppenwall, greatest television writer my former <laughs> co-worker at the star ledger. <laughs> I was just like an editorial assistant, but, um, that like the argument for, uh, the episode. And the truth is te- there's more than enough room. It's television. This ain't a movie theater. We ain't showing three movies. You got a hundred and thousand channels. There's room for everything, yep. you know? And it, I don't know who yep. knows why it took so long to figure that out. Hey guys, Matt here. You know, I used to say that I would never, ever monetize Podcast Winterfell because, really, I didn't need to. I had plenty of money to do it, and it was my passion. But the guys from the DVR Podcast Network, who have taken over Podcast Winterfell for me, decided to do a Patreon page because they're giving you more content each week than I have ever given you on Podcast Winterfell. And I really appreciate that the effort that they've gone through to do that including interviews, including uh, three podcasts a week just covering the show, and maybe even more with a feedback podcast here or there as well. So you're getting a whole lot of content, and that's why it's worth it to go to patreon.com slash DVR and check out their pledge levels and make a pledge. 
I've done it. I am now a DVR Podcast Network patron. And I'm happy to get it because I get to hear some of the podcasts a little earlier than the rest of you do, perhaps. Also, I know that I'm going to continue to get even more great podcasts about other television shows by continuing to support the DVR Podcast Network. So quickly go to the DVR Podcast Network's Patreon page. That's patreon.com slash DVR and pledge your support for Podcast Winterfell on any level, a dollar, three dollars, ten dollars. There's all kinds of neat little perks as well for you, depending on what level you pledge at. Thanks for listening to me babble. Take care. Um, all right, let's move on to our Twitter. We ran a couple polls. The first was, and I'm going to have Mike answer. I don't know if you answered these polls, but I'm going to ask for your answer. Who will Randall Tarly side with? Cersei, Danny, neither. Cersei. Okay, you say Cersei. I, I do. I have a feeling that I don't know. I just feel like there's some kind of setup with him and Sam. They did that whole thing with the sword, like he's going to rescue Sam or fight him. I don't. Or maybe his brother, but I see it more going the other way. So I kind of think it's going to be Danny. I think that he's gonna what? go. I think he's gonna go against Jamie and go with, uh, like he said. Why? I think he's gonna go with his house. What evidence is there of that? Uh, nothing. It's just a feeling I have. I think he. I think that um, a dude like that, even though he is an asshole, like Cersei's an asshole, knows that that asshole is only gonna end up killing him. And. I think that maybe that'll be the choice. I don't know. I don't think so. I think he's a loyalist. I think he's a traditionalist. And I think when he finds out Sam is in any way associated with Danny, he's definitely not going to go work with them. Okay. I well, just like know. it. That's just my feeling. That's cool, man. You probably, know I feel a like he's more. like a totally, not really. I mean, he's oh, okay. just, I, I mean, you know what I, you know what? He's described like just like the magic. He's described a little more specifically in the books, but this actor is doing such a good job, dude. <laughs> like I'm not sure it's not filling. He's not filling in the gaps, uh, and he just like to me, he is extremely black and white. But see, that's you why know, I saw the loyalist thing because he said that you know he would be with the Queen of Thorns. He would be with Olena, right? So that is kind of like he's that's what he said to Jamie. And then Jamie argued, well, the crown is really what your allegiance is. But I just think that's I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just feel like that speech that Cersei gave, it was so I think it just like the way he said that too. like, I'm not an oath breaker. I'm not a it just seemed to me like in the end, he's going to begrudgingly go against her. And Jamie. Well, I see the thing is, and this was the point that Jamie made, like he is you know, a bannerman to the Tyrells, but the Tyrells are bannerman to the Lannisters. Right. And they're, so that was revolting. Jamie's point is that is that, you know, you are ultimately a bannerman to us and that supersedes your loyalty okay. to. I can see that how I I can now, Mike, now I understand how that fits into your interpretation of him being mm -hmm. like law abiding. Um, okay, next one. Will Varys 
I always think I pronounce that wrong, but Will Varys betray Danny. Oh, I didn't say who won uh, the, uh, we started talking about it. I didn't say who won it. Um, <laughs> so our poll, it got 51 votes. Pretty good. And actually, there's still like five hours left. But um, who will Randall Tarly side with? Most people agree with Mike. 60, okay. 65% Danny, 16%. I mean, Cersei, 65% Danny, 16 neither, 19 Okay. All right. The next one is Will Varys betray Danny? And this is a final result. We got 84 votes for this one. Uh, wow. That's a mm, yes, just because he's a scumbag and he's betrayed everybody else. Oh, okay. Um, we had 61%. No. 39%. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I agree with you, Mike. I think it's because now I have to say that I was listening um, to Aziz on History of Westeros. I'm plugging them too much. They need to uh, they need to give us some ad revenue for that. Um, but <laughs> I was listening to it, and um, he had a great point. Something along the lines, which I was kind of pick up picking up on again and again. Which is maybe varies isn't going isn't particularly like betraying her for someone else, in so much as he just hates the magic and the dragons and just you know, undermining her generally. Yes, exactly, exactly. Now that he knows what she's gotten into with all the red priests and the dragons and it and, and you know and in this world kind of that both the dragons and uh the white walkers being more representative of like that kind of nuclear bomb you know what i mean mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. how do you use this it's so powerful that you'd see there could be a character who kind of sneaks in there to take it away um mm -hmm. i was gonna roll it uh, ro uh do another poll about if anybody thinks dragons are gonna die this season because a lot of people have been talking about that I mean, not only with this subject, with perhaps Varys trying to kill a dragon or something like that, um, mm -hmm. but uh, with the huge crossbow that Kyburn rolled out. But I didn't get a chance to do that poll. My answer would be yes. I do think they're headed towards a dragon being killed, especially after we see Euron come in. Like, there is a little bit of a writing thing here where it's like we got to knock Danny down a peg. Right. Well, I still am addicted to the no evidence whatsoever book theory that John Tyrion and Danny are going to ride dragons over the wall and melt the White Walkers. Oh. So, you know, that would require uh, no dead dragons. <laughs> but yeah. everything in the show is pointing to a dead dragon. Yeah. So. Besides the fact that, you know, remember that two or three of them were chained up for whatever indetermined amount of time Danny was in Essos, you know, um, and they weren't able to grow in the way they naturally would when they were locked up. So it seems like it would make a certain amount of sense that they would not be, you know, they're just not as big, maybe not as quite as strong. Mm, true. True that, man. All right. Our next one was, will John bend the knee to Danny? Uh, we had 67% no, 33% yes. What do you think, Mike? 
Yeah, I mean, we talked about this on the book reader show, and I think, you know, we generally, the three of us, as far as I recall, generally agreed that if that's what she wants, that he will say, whatever, cool, here, boom, here's my sword on the floor, can we please get busy? Like, don't worry about Cersei, like, we have bigger problems, and that he would basically kind of, you know, I mean, he wouldn't be as flippant about it as that, obviously, right? He's Jon Snow, he's gonna stand there and look concerned for a while first <laughs> but eventually you know yeah. yeah i think that he's got much bigger things in mind and i think that that you know what i said was that i think that that was a good reason for him to just basically go with davos and nobody else because if he goes down there with a whole collection of umbers and you know car starks and whoever else and sansa you know, and everybody else who's got an opinion, he's going to have to argue with all of them. And they're going to, you know, start beef in front of Dan. It's going to be a thing. Yeah. Right. If he just goes with Davos, Davos will keep his mouth shut until they get in private. And then he can be like, I don't know. Right. And they can have that conversation. The other thing is, and this is something that I've, it didn't occur. It took me way too long to realize Davos is on the place to where Melisandre is at. So maybe Melisandre is going to die after all, and it's going to be Davos that kills her, and that would be pretty sweet. But, you know, so I think there's going to be some consternation there and some back and forth. But ultimately, I do think he will be happy to bend the knee if that's the only way he's going to get some dragons over the wall. Hmm. Had not thought about it that way. Um, And I think most people who answered the poll were saying no. There's some other... um, some people had some people respond. Danny should bend the knee to him. That was uh-huh. uh, uh, LT Giles, um, Sir James on uh, the Twitter K of the BH says in marriage proposal that hmm. John will just come right out and say, let's mm-hmm. get married. Interesting. Um, so my I was kind of. Th- my idea was that they're more so is not really a direct answer to this. And it would be, um, they kind of talk it out. You know what I'm saying? And I kind of like what you said, Mike, which is, I'll tell you how I go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that I could totally see John saying like going back and everybody being like, you bet the knee. And he just going like, do you not understand these titles, these kings, queen? But they also, do not under- okay. matter anymore. You know, like. But that, also think about, think about, you know, what it makes the most sense as far as John finding out his actual parentage. It makes the most sense for him to find out when Danny is there. And so he gets there. She says, you know, bend the knee. He's like a cunt. They'll never forgive me, right? Whatever. Okay, fine. Then he looks concerned. We have a couple episodes of that. Grey Worm is like, I'll just cut your fucking face off right here. Blah, blah, blah. Then John finds out his parentage. When John finds out his parentage, we find out that he's got an equal claim or the, a disputable claim, right? Because, you know, he's a Targaryen, you right. know? And so he's got but he's, you know, but he's also a Stark, blah, blah, blah. So he's got a disputable claim. So at that, I think, is going to be the point at which it really comes to a head, where she's going to say, you know, whatever. Like, now he's a real threat in a different way than the king in the north, which ultimately she just thinks she'll have his, her dragons 
kill them all anyway if she has to. The same okay, way, the same plan she has for everything else. But when it becomes about parentage and about a legitimate claim to the throne, then she's got to send Grey Worm to get him in his sleep. You know, like that's a whole different story. And at that point, I think that it that him is telling her he doesn't want the Iron Throne and he's willing to relinquish the Iron Throne and his claim to it. That's the big moment. So it's not just about him bending the knee to her as the king in the north. It's about him relinquishing claim to it as a Targaryen. Okay. You know, so, and, and not have, and so it's all under one big umbrella. You okay. know, I see what you're saying. So really, this scene, whether he does it or not, I like that description of what you think it may be to come. You know, um, and how they figure that out. There was a couple other, uh, a couple other replies we had. Um, Grumpy Gobert says he bent both his knees to Ygritte, and she didn't have any dragons. <laughs> I like that. Very good. Oh, that dude's funny. Um, we had another one, which I liked, which was the idea that, uh, oh man, let me say, let me say, uh, I got to go through these tweets. Oh man, let's see if I can find it. You bent both new, you do blah, blah, blah. Oh, okay, good. Uh, Matt Diamond says it'll be a negotiation towards the North being its own territory, much like the Iron Islands. So I think that's a little bit, so I don't know. That's why I don't know if I agree with you that'll end like that. I just feel like it's going to be maybe somewhere down the middle going more towards what you're talking about because we do have all this claim stuff. When his, That's like saying they're going to vote. What yes. in this thing has anything? That is, I don't think that's correct. I, she is, uh, this is mine. So she's, so, oh, okay. So he's going to have to it do it. You're saying it doesn't, it seems to me hard to imagine that she's going to be like, okay, fine. You can have that part and I'll just have the six kingdoms plus slavers Bay. That makes seven. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. I don't see that in her and I don't see anybody who's going to talk her into it. It seems to me much more likely that the guy who last week was like, I never asked to be King is going to say, no problem. You want the fucking job? You can have it. Just help me kill the dead people. Okay. All right. We'll see. That just seems much more consistent yeah. with her with his character than it does with hers. I would accept that, actually. I would very much accept that. Um, but cool. I'm good. I'm glad that that question brought, uh, brought some stuff up. Um, okay, cool. We had uh, Ekadere, Lord Burrito, on Twitter at, says, this is interesting. Another, another little note, people remembering the things that the Stark girls know. Arya witnessed a conversation with Baelish and Tywin about joining with Highgarden and killing off Stannis and Rob. And there was a lot of stuff that Arya, there was other stuff in that conversation, I think, that Arya picked up on. Remember? Um, mm -hmm. So if, if, if Joe Bear and Aaron and I are wrong and she does end up going up there, uh, going to Winterfell, you know, that might be... She could be intimately involved in the downfall mm -hmm. of Lord Baelish. And her and Sansa, with information that they have, can do that. Um, right. I, I also think maybe maybe Arya will come to Winterfell as someone different to kind of scope it out. 
That's what a yeah. smart, like, assassin person would do. You don't just walk in there or throw your arms around Sansa and let everybody know that Arya Stark is alive, right? Why not? So who does she kill to get in? I don't know, man. That's a tough choice. Maybe she just... So many good options. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. We got a couple more, and then we're going to call it a night. Um, All right. Christine wanted DJ Tim Hines to know that he did a great job. That's cute. Poison, of course, our old friend, um, did a great job on the show, and he did, man. He knocked it out. You too, Mike. You knocked it out on your show, man. You're the hostess with the mostest. You're Um, biased. Oh, that's true. Uh, Gary Mansfield, Sam Bam 39 on Twitter was talking about, because Heath and I had mentioned about um, whether Grey Worm had a wee-wee. And he said, it is verified that unsullied unsullied are eunuchs, and eunuchs by definition are sterilized either by castration or chemical castra of the testes. Right, but this is what Mm. I'm saying, dude. I think he has a wiener. That's what I think. I think he may have had the nuts chopped off, and maybe he can't have kids, and that's that's terrible. But I do think he has a wiener. But if you – well, first of all, there were references to root and stem – so that's pretty clear. Uh, also, even if you still have the floppy dong, if you don't got anything to fill it up, right? If you're not producing any sort of testosterone, then I don't think it's. Oh, you don't get uh, a bone? I don't know. I functional I, in that way. Have to admit, I don't know, man. I have to admit that I, I don't. believe that that is the seat of the. Uh, <laughs> Of the chemicals that cause said reaction. I don't know so how. So I think I your hands and face would actually be way more productive. Yeah, well, um, you know, Mike, I guess I do not know how my own dick works. Don't know how my own <laughs> dick works, I have to admit. Um, my point is that I don't think it materially true. changes the experience for her or him, right? It is... Okay, I'll put it this way. Of course, it doesn't matter. They can have, they don't need a dick in the room to have sex. Okay, (laughs) this is obvious. But it changes the experience is my only point for both of them. Right, but that's not even what I was thinking about. More so, I'm just finding minutiae in the world of Game of Thrones, which is that... Again, I don't believe what anybody says about anything because these people <laughs> pass notes by Raven. You know, I mean, like, come Reference on. Reference to root and stem is not enough. Exactly. That's, that's fair. That's Just totally Just because fair. one person says it, oh, I know it. And then when Daenerys had the conversation, I, th- I think that was Varys that said that, right? And when Daenerys and um, Melisande um, had the conversation, neither of them kind of knew. And I think there was a third time where someone was like, I don't know, you know? I just think there's a lot of that in this world, and it would make sense to me that the stories of the Unsullied, everything's exaggerated. Like, I'm not so sure that they have them kill mm-hmm. a baby in front of... Mm-hmm. I just don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I believe it, but I don't... I, I don't know. And I just think that she had a little smile on her face. <laughs> when he took <laughs> his... When he let his drawers down, watch it again, she looks and she doesn't get a kind of like, I'm going to smile to make him feel better kind of thing. She kind of just goes... You know, and then Mm -hmm. when he gets on top of her, she's not kind of like, yo, dude, why are you doing that? 
<laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, and then yes, he goes down on her, but that could be more about the, uh, that he's a loving man. Well, you, you know what I'm saying? He that enjoys that with a fully functioning reproductive system. Yes, you should. Exactly. Right. I mean, yes. that, that shouldn't change so, that. I'm not, I don't think they, it's not about, I'm not fascinated. Oh, he has to have a dick. I'm just saying within the, within the show, she had this little smile. They're always telling these weird stories. Things are exaggerated. And maybe it says something a little bit about the show, which is a lot of people are about to learn the truth about things. There's a lot of things that people believe on this show that are just wrong. And then there's other things that, are unexplainable, you know? So I don't know. Right. Anyway, um, Uh I thought that was, uh, that was kind of funny. Um, our buddy, uh, Nihon Brian out there in Japan says great initial reaction cast, Heath and Axel love your analysis and your brotherhood. Thank you, brother. Uh, (laughs) and then to follow up PJ afternoon, Ansley says, I'm loving all the content. Make sure you include more ladies. Or that's what the little women, that's what the uh, little emojis. No one likes a sausage fest. (laughs) Well, we are doing that. We are definitely doing that. Um, Obviously, um, Tracy is female. She's joined us. She's part of the crew. Uh, But as it happens, we all know each other, five dudes. And uh, we're trying to get... um, we're making an active, uh, making that an active kind of thing that we're doing that we've talked about and want to accomplish. Right, Michael? Well, yeah. I mean, we're going to be doing a show. Yeah, we've, we're setting up a number of interviews and kind of sideshows and stuff. And also, like, you know, there's people who've contributed to Podcast Winterfell in the past, um, you know, Black Eyed Lily and. Um, Kelly, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you. I'm spacing, but yeah, I mean, you know, podcast Winterfell has always had a number of female contributors and we've reached out to them, uh, kind of as the season has started and started to talk to everybody about when they can come on. And so we can have shows with everybody too. We also did, I mean, I did the whole grand Northern conspiracy series with Kelly and Susan and John, uh, and Matt, obviously. And I mean, that was great. And we talked, I mean, you know, we went through the books and we, it was a, it was a thing. (laughs) There's a lot there, you know, there's a lot of podcasts there. Um, and I think it, you know, one thing that I'm particularly interested in is getting them back together and kind of having an update on the grand Northern conspiracy and kind of what we've learned from the show, because there's not more books. And so, Anything that we can contribute to that whole thing at this point um, will come from the show. So yeah, we are. You know, there's various little things like that that we're working on, um, and you know, we have that in mind as we go. Yes, and uh, and we also um, bear in mind the idea and the uh, action of diversifying the podcast and representation as well of different viewpoints and experiences and people and um, really do want to try to do that because, Hey, it's true. We are, uh, you know, Matt, me, Mike, Donald, Heath, DJ, we do all have penises. Uh, 
and uh, <laughs> we are all. Well, something else yeah. that I think that is kind of not that is somewhat left out of this conversation uh, is that you know you and me and Heath uh, are all Heath's married, right? Wasn't he yeah. recently married? Well, he'll, we're he's all married. married. Yeah. He's getting okay. He's engaged, right? And DJ and has DJ, been with his uh, with with his I've, girlfriend for like many, I've many met years. his lady, you know, a couple of times, and she's great. And they have a a very marriage like relationship. Even if they don't actually like whatever their piece of paper, you know, you see them together, like it's clear they are one, you know. And we talk. I mean, that's we talk about this stuff with. Uh, women who are immediately in our lives on a regular basis. So even when we're sausage festing the podcast, um, you know, there's always those female voices. I mean, you know, I'm married. Like I watch the show with my wife. We sit there and talk about it. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that is know, an I interesting mean, like, point, Mike. Right. Nothing. Beats she doesn't having... want to be on the podcast, but yeah, I you know. know I've asked Perry so many times, dude, she won't be on the pod. And Keith and I have talked about that too. I think I mentioned that to DJ too. They just, yeah. Um, but we don't, you know, I don't watch two minutes of the show without I hearing know. what she thinks of, you know what I mean? It's like, it's I a know. constant part. And you guys do the initial reaction together, but your initial, initial reaction is sitting there with your wife, just like That's mine true. is. Yeah. You know, when the red wedding happens, I'm sitting there with her and we're looking at each other like, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> like we're having that moment together. And then I went and had it with you, you know, but. So anyway, that is for me, that is a major part of how I think about this stuff, how I think about the show. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it's hard to explain how much that influences your daily thought patterns before you are married into a person, right? And have experienced every episode of this show with them and so on and so forth, you know, but that isn't an important part of how I end up thinking about it. And also, when you mentioned talking about kind of diversifying representation and such, we, I think we are going to talk a little bit about Confederate um, after Game of Thrones is over. I think we're going to get into exploring some of the controversy around the upcoming uh, show that those guys are talking yeah, about doing. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but but not now. Not while we got all this nerd out. Yes, stuff to do. let's nerd yes. out while we're nerding out, and we'll talk about all that later. Right, but we will drop some pods here and there, and definitely, basically, um, after our long stoned ramble through this, uh, we hear you, and uh, we are taking action on it. So there you go. Um, let's see. We got a couple more. That was a lot of a reaction to one emoji. <laughs> Um, let's see. Uh, oh, this is an interesting point from Steve, Steve's brain underscore brain box for the show. At least Jamie was removed from the King's guard by Tom and technically he could be Lord of Casterly rock now because I was saying that, and that's something that I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and I haven't heard people talk about. And I, I did want, um, that's why I saved. that's our last tweet tonight. Thanks everybody who tweeted at us, do it at Winterfell pod, but Mike, in this, am I right that the reason why Lady Olena and um, Ilaria kind of agreed to the plan that Tyrion laid out is because he said, we're going to take Casterly Rock and that's his ancestral home. And that was like, that is that why the room kind of got silent and they looked at him. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you were right about that. And I think that I think his initial point also was very good that she's going to say, you're really going to let the Dothraki take over King's Landing? Help me. Yeah. And that's going to be a very valuable propaganda point. And I think that when he made that point, it, that's something that it's pretty hard to disagree with. And then when you top off that very solid planning idea with this kind of more symbolic thing, because, you know, Tywin already said there's no gold there. It's symbolic. It's not really, you know, a strategic thing, right? But it is a big deal as far as the symbology of it goes. So I think it was actually a combination of the two. And I think his first point is really kind of being underplayed as far as the importance of it to his overall plan. Mm, okay, cool. Yeah, because I like that. I kind of dug that because, like I say with John, if he goes back to them, like, and I can't, and you know, he, he's said it, like, this stuff just doesn't matter. Who's king? And, you know, like, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't matter anymore. And I think that's kind of, that's a, a feeling through this book, you know, uh, through these books, I would say, or I've heard from people, um, and this, and the TV show, which is kind of like this world is going through almost like, I don't, I don't know what to say. It's like almost like a 1960s, you know, of America, which is people are starting to not wear, uh, ties everywhere and hats right (laughs) you know like people are going outside in shorts now or people like these things are breaking down these things which some people think hold society together but you know as you study and see the way groups of people work together it's a natural progression that you kind of have to throw off sometimes these things to grow, you know, you need that space Mm -hmm. within the culture. And I see that Mm -hmm. happening here. And I think John in many ways is a representation of that. He broke his vows to the night's watch. His -hmm. whole life is a lie. You know what I mean? Of who he is, his parentage, you know? Um, and, And it's, and it's a lie because of these stupid old traditions. So to me, that was an exciting moment to realize that, that Tyrion mm-hmm. is saying, like, you're worried about your armies? Guess what I'm giving up? Like, my right. entire name, right. which is the most right. important thing in this whole world to anyone, you know, which right. is what we're fighting about. So I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I think that's a very good point. All right, man. Is uh, anything else you want to add? Lord have mercy. No, it's like three thirty in the morning. Um, <laughs> it is late. Isn't glad it? to talk about anything, but uh, the mooch. Yeah, there you so. go, baby. Well, thanks everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, if you came all the way to the uh, patron page to hear it, maybe uh, throw us a few shekels, as they say, and. Um, Tune in next week. We'll be back. Heath and I will be dropping the initial reaction Sunday, uh, late night Sunday to the patrons, then Monday morning afternoon. Remember, I'm West Coast time in the United States. Um, and then DJ Tim Hines will be back Monday night on Talk Show. 
and Mike, Tracy, and Donald will uh, be recording probably like, what, Wednesday night? And we'll drop that Thursday, Friday around that time. And hopefully we'll have something else to throw at you too. So uh, I'm going to tell you how to get in touch with us because I pre-recorded it. And that's at the end of every podcast. Um, <laughs> anything? <laughs> Darren Gailey's. Julianne what? Julianne Moore podcast. Julianne Moore podcast. Awesome. Thank you for listening to Podcast Winterfell. You can find the podcast at dvrpodcast.com. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash dvr. You can email the podcast, podcastwinterfell at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at WinterfellPod and on Facebook, Podcast Winterfell. <laughs>